Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me is my good buddy, Mike Johnson. Mike, what's going on, man? Oh, good, Dimitri. How are you doing? I'm good, man. It's been uh, it's been way too long since we've had you on the show. I, I know you're a busy guy, so I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I feel like at least like well, one, once a month or on. once every six weeks, we got to get you on here. Listen, you know where I'm at. I'm always available. It is you who is becoming very busy, which is a good thing. We uh, happy to see your voice and your words in more and more places because it's uh, making people smarter. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that, but yeah, it's uh, you got you got to keep busy in this industry, and um, you know what? I, I haven't had a chance to discuss the uh, the All Star Game much on this podcast up until now, and I figured that I'd kind of solicit your help to help me figure out whose play the season's actually warranted an All Star appearance or at least consideration, and who was voted on but probably didn't deserve it. So, um, do you want to just get right into it? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Cool. Okay. Um, I think. I think some theoretical questions first to get into before we actually get into the the guys we're picking. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you, do you do you care about this game at all? Um, as currently as a fan, um, I am not as intrigued by the game um, <clears throat> as a player. I think it is a real honor for guys to be recognized and asked to go. I understand if you're one of the guys that is so great that uh, Sidney Crosby gets asked you know, a dozen years in a row that maybe it doesn't become quite as uh, special. Mm-hmm. But I think it's not for me, and it's not even for the players. This game is for, it's a business weekend where the NHL can do a lot of business with their sponsorship, their corporate sponsors, and get their best players around their biggest sponsors. And, and that's part of the engine that drives the revenues of the game. So the players need to appreciate that their attendance is important because they're getting half of everything that they can generate or help generate through things like this. And the other thing it's for is for the kids. Mm-hmm. It's for younger people who want to watch breakaways and crazy games and the best players do funny things. And, um, you know, maybe the ones who are a little bit older like I am, you, you, you kind of roll your eyes and say, this is not that great. Um, but for kids who are falling in love with the game, who look up to these players as idols, it matters to them. So for those guys... It's important for me, even in my current capacity as a as an NHL analyst. It's not that significant. Having said all that, last year's was actually pretty fun. 
Yeah. Last year's was pretty interesting to watch the tournament go down and the John Scott influence and all those things. It was as interesting as I can remember the actual game or event being. Yeah, I mean, I'm of two minds of it. Like, obviously, you know, it's you don't want to take it too seriously and, and you're just sort of supposed to just take it for what it's worth. It's supposed to be a fun little event where everyone kind of gets together for media members like you and I, it's a good networking opportunity. As you mentioned, it's a good business, business opportunity for sponsors and all that. And, and for young fans of the game, it's, it's kind of cool to see all these guys that don't get to play together on a nightly basis, kind of mix it up and, and have some fun with it. And I think that when it comes to actually picking the team, I actually kind of take it a bit more seriously than I probably should just because there are, there actually is things on the line here in terms of perform, performance bonuses and contracts. And sometimes this stuff gets, yeah, re- sometimes this stuff sure. gets referenced. And, you know, when I'm discussing a player's legacy or Hall of Fame candidacy or future contracts for certain players. So I think if we're actually going to go through with this event, we should probably actually pick the guys who deserve to go there based on their play rather than just putting a bunch of names in a hat and just kind of picking random, random guys. And I think it's okay to forego big-name players if they are not as deserving as a lesser-name player because, generally speaking, you're going to have 80% of the guys there are going to be big-name guys no matter what because they deserve to be there. That's why they're big names. But if you have a case of a Taze, for instance, this year, um, whose play does not warrant all-star inclusion, it's okay to say no to him. I get the sponsors like Jonathan Taze, but generally there'll be enough big stars there to appease everyone. So let's recognize the guys who do deserve to go um, and I don't, you know, financially for sure, if you're one of the guys who have a rookie bonus or one of those things in your contract, definitely. But um, I'm more for the recognition mm-hmm. for guys to get, um, because if, if you're not a regular all-star candidate, you may not have another chance. Cam Atkinson may never get another chance to go play in an all-star game. Yeah. But he deserves to be in this one, and he's not getting asked to go because he's Cam Atkinson and not Alex Ovechkin. So, um, yeah, so I, I'm with you. I just take... When I put my list together, when the teams were coming out, I went with the rules where I had a player from every team, mm-hmm. but I just said, I don't care what name that player is. I'm taking the best guy that I can think of. doesn't matter if he's not the best well-known player. doesn't matter who I leave off. I'm taking just the most deserving. And in many ways, I think that's how they should do it. Yeah. And I think that the, I understand the guidelines for, you know, you want to have one player represent, at least one player from each team representing them, and you have to have the six forwards, 3D, and two goalies on each team. But I think, like, we'll get into this when we discuss the Metro division, but sometimes those restrictions make it very difficult because you'd like to put, like, seven, seven or eight forwards and maybe 2D in a particular division, but you can't. And then sometimes maybe guys get left off, but they actually deserve to be there. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I think the easiest way to fix it beyond, you know, using your criteria, which I'm sure is the very best there is, Dean, um, is to just add two more forwards and one more defense. Mm-hmm. Make it eight and four. Yeah. And then, you know, pretty much you'll be able to get in all the deserving players and you'll probably be able to get in all the big stars if maybe they aren't quite as deserving and everyone probably will go home happy. I don't think the players will get too upset about, you know, not playing quite as much or whatever. They don't care while they're there. They're just having a good time. So, Maybe just expand the rosters a little bit, um, just to, to include some of those periphery guys. If you want to, if you want to give it to the most deserving, then you can also have the big stars. If you want to give it to the big stars, you can also get it to the most deserving. Yeah. 
Okay, let's uh, let's get into it and let's start with the Atlantic Division. And I sort of broke it down team by team, and I think that this division is probably yep. the most cut and dried. Like I, I don't, I don't really have any major issues with any of the guys that were necessarily selected. I mean, for Montreal, you have Shea Weber and Carey Price, and I think that we're both probably pretty cool with those two selections. Yeah, for Montreal. Although in my in my world, I had Max Pacioretty on the team as well. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you're having um, Patrick on, who are you kicking off in terms of some other forwards? I'm kicking off Brad Marchand. Interesting. You know, I know Brad Marchand, and I remember I did this before he had his five point game this past weekend, right? Um, and the picks were made before he had that five point game, so you can't reference it now. I get that he's a huge possession player. I get that him and Therese Bergeron drive that team, but Montreal is quite a bit better mm-hmm. than Boston. I even. <laughs> pains me to say because I got a lot more assists than goals, but I recognize that goals are more important and more difficult to get than assists. Yeah. Pacioretty uh, has more of those than uh, Brad Marchand, and so I don't care if there's three Montreal Canadiens. I think that uh, I would take Pacioretty over Marchand. You know what's funny? I think the last time I had you on the show was about like six weeks ago or so, and we were discussing, I think, Max Pacioretty exactly in terms of he was one of the guys that was getting a lot of shots but wasn't converting a lot of them into goals, mm-hmm. and we were discussing At sort of... At some point, yeah. that shooting percentage would come around. Yes, yeah. We were, we were saying how you know it's easy for us to be like yeah we wait for it but it's understandable if you're Max Pacioretty or if you're the Canadians to kind of be That's freaking right. out a little bit but you know like I don't I don't think there's any player in the league I mean I'm sure there are some guys but it seems like for a guy that's consistently scoring so many goals and making such a big difference it feels like every year there's at least some point in the season where there's like these articles coming out like what's wrong with Max Pacioretty like it's so, it's so bizarre <laughs> to me like there's never anything wrong with him he's a fantastic player yeah, if, if something wrong means 35 goals and, you know, 65, 70, 65 points, then yeah, yeah I guess something's wrong with them. And it, well, it's two things. It's Montreal because it's Montreal. There's a ton of attention. He's the captain. That is the most high profile captaincy in the league by far. More responsibility than anywhere else. I played in Toronto, maybe the second or the biggest market. Montreal, maybe the second, maybe the Rangers. Um, what the captain in Toronto has to put up with is nothing even close to what the Montreal Canadian captain has to deal with. So that's part of it. And I think it's just for goal scorers, we still are working to get by, get through the idea that everyone talks about consistency. Well, he's a streaky scorer. And I think we just, everybody's a streaky scorer. Yeah. When you score 40, you don't score a goal every other game. You get 15 in 20 games, and then you get 5 in 20 games. Like That's how the nature of the sport. That's just how it happens. And you end up with where you should end up, which is 40 goals. That's just the way it works. And I still, I still think people cling to that idea. When somebody goes through a slump, whether it's because of poor play or poor luck, they, they, they want to say, well, he doesn't do it every night because nobody does it every night. So we got to get past that. And I think Max Pacioretty, as a goal scorer who can run hot for stretches and cold for stretches, um, falls victim to that. Yep. No, I completely agree. Every goal scorer, other than maybe Alex Ovechkin, is basically like that in terms of yeah. ha- having ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And I'm perfectly fine with having Pacioretty on this list instead of Marchand. I, I had Marchand on mine personally, but it's a it's a coin flip. I mean, you could really you can't go wrong either way. Um, yeah. I think that 
having Tuukka Rask as the Bruins representative is a no-brainer. Uh, there's good. There's a lot of good yep. goalies in this con in this division. But if you just look at the difference between how he's played and how all of his backups have played, like you can make the case that he's one of the he's, he's, he's one of the front runners for MVP just based on you know without him they they yeah. they'd be completely screwed. They're in the playoffs right now, although just hanging on because they've played more games. They've only won one game when he hasn't played. Yep. And the team numbers are so much worse, like twice as many goals against. As if they're playing, all the goalies in Boston play behind the same team, and yet his numbers are so much better than whatever backup they put in there, whether it's McIntyre or Hudobin or Malcolm Subban. Um, yeah, absolutely no-brainer for Tuka Rask to be the Boston representative. For me, it was an easy pick. Yeah, yeah, I think that I looked at it a few weeks ago, and those three guys that you mentioned as the backups combined for like an 870 or an 880 save percentage for the year or something. It just it's <laughs> impossible to, to win when you're getting that. Yeah, um, yeah, no, and it's hard to put up an 880 for 10 games. Like that's not easy to do. That's um, that's not good goaltending. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for the Leafs, um, Austin Matthews, no brainer. Is there anyone else on that team yep. that you that you kind of at least thought about for a bit? Uh, I mean, you can look at Nazem Kadri for the year he's had, the goals he's scoring. Um, all his underlying numbers are very strong, but I don't think they were good enough. And the Leafs, again, this is 10 days ago, the Leafs were not um, where they are in the playoffs now. They've been playing well as of late and climbed into a playoff spot. But uh, you could consider Kadri, you can consider Mitch Marner for all he's done. Uh, you could consider Freddie Anderson in that. Mm-hmm. But um, the I I didn't really no I, I I thought Austin Matthews and and then that was it for Toronto for me. Yep. And then um, similarly for the Senators, it's it's Eric Carlson and that's it. I think. Yeah, that's easy. That was a, that was very easy. Um, yeah, there wasn't much else to talk about there. Yeah. Um, okay. So the Panthers are interesting because. I have no issue with Vinny, Tro- Vinny Trocek, and I think that you know most casual fans probably would be like, "Who? Like, uh, like why is why is he going to the All Star game?" But then you just look at sort of what he's meant to that team, just purely based on on usage, especially with all the injuries they've had, and and Sasha Barkov not really taking that next step to becoming a Anze Kopitar type star that we would have thought he'd take this year. So I think that you know Trocek is a is a pretty good pretty good candidate for me. He is, absolutely. Um, there's three options, really, for Florida, and I think it was going, it's Yager, if you want to go, like, the Veteran Lifetime Achievement Award and, and tie him into maybe his last All-Star Game opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't go that route. And so, to me, it's Barkoff or, um, or Trocek, and uh, I put Barkoff in. I think that uh, he had more points than, uh, than Trocek, had more goals at the time of the selections. Um, he's an excellent possession guys his shot shares are are really high and and he, he's done it with a revolving door i mean yarmer yager is 45 years old yep. and you know a whole bunch of different wingers marcia so had a great start but um he hasn't had his usual guy there in uberdo so i put Barkoff. i have no problem with uh with troy check but i put Barkoff. um and also you know he gets he gets difficult matchups he, he, he plays a lot of tough uh centermen up head to head so i went with him yeah I think that's fine. Um, I'm not going to fight you over that one. Um, for the lightning, for the, for, for, <laughs> save it for later. Yes, yes. So for the lightning, uh, Victor Hedman and, and Nikita Kucherov made it, and it's tough to quibble with either. I think that the interesting thing for there's, okay, there's two things about the, the lightning here. One for Hedman, where do you have him in terms of sort of the Norris race at this point of the season compared to his peers? And the second thing is. 
like I've been I've spent so much time just looking into the numbers and trying to and watching their games and trying to make sense of what's going on with the Lightning this season and obviously mm-hmm. the, the injuries have played a huge role. I mean they're playing a lot. Of, they're 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 this revolving door of guys coming from the AHL and having to play games for them here and there and they're all over the place with their roster. But it's just from start to finish they've just been so underwhelmingly mediocre and I'm just trying to make sense of what's going on with them. It's been tough and and like, you can't ignore the injuries of course that's a legitimate reason excuse reason whatever you want to call it it's 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 reality they uh they've had some really important players injured um for 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 a long stretch of stamkos being the number one of them um you know their goaltending has been significantly worse i don't know if ben bishop is you know last year steve stamkos didn't have a great year yeah and he talked about after the fact that he was very bothered distracted whatever you want to call it, by the prospect of leaving the team and all that that was going on with his pending unrestricted free agency. And I wonder if Ben Bishop is going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a human. He kind of figures his time there is going to end in Tampa, uh, whether it is in March 1st or whether it's in the summer or whatever. Um, maybe that's impacting his performance a little bit because uh, he has not been great. So... Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, their they're, Tampa's structure seems to have, have gotten away from them. They don't play a very tight game anymore. They give up more shots, more chances seemingly this year than they have in years past. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's a concern. It's tough to be successful that way. Uh, you know, they're still out shooting teams and out possessing them. But um, goaltending hasn't been there, and, and, and it's been an issue. But for, for Hedman... Um, you know, I would have him probably. Brent Burns is going to be a finalist for sure. Yep. Uh, for the for the Norris, um, I probably have Hedman as a finalist mm-hmm. at this point, um, given the role he plays and the points he puts up, and um, you know how important he is to that team. Over you know the, the drop off. I know Strawman's been excellent, but he's been in on the lineup. But when you start getting down to you know the Schusters and the Garrisons and the and Nesterovs and, and those kind of players, a lot is on Edmund's plate to, to, to run the table there in, in Tampa. And, and so for that reason, I, he probably is in the final. He's a finalist for me. Yeah, I have him. I have Burns as, as sort of the clear cut runaway winner right now. And I have Hedman and, and Carlson interchangeable there in the 2 3. And I, I think mm-hmm. that. The, the thing that's working in Hedman's favor in, in that discussion is heading into this season, one thing I noted was, you know, the thing that was holding him back from these Norris discussions was just that he wasn't really playing nearly as much as some of the other top guys. And a lot of that was because Tampa Bay could afford to do so. They had a lot of depth and they were, you know, playing great hockey. So no one was really complaining. But this year, mostly by necessity, he's had to play north of 24 minutes. He's approaching 25 for the year. And, and that's a big jump from where he's been in years past. And he's done remarkably well in those minutes. So I think that you know, it's pretty cool to see his ascension towards becoming one of those top guys over the years. Yeah, and it's really been a slow and steady progression. Mm-hmm. Remember, you know, taking second overall, he was he was between Tavares and Duchesne, I think, yep. if that if my memory goes back to be correct. And it wasn't that smooth. He didn't step in and say, "Okay, this is the guy, this giant from whatever that town is, Ramoto plays." I won't even try to say it. It is the guy. Um, it's taken two, three, four years, but he's, he has, he has ascended now and he is one of the top five defense in the league and he has been for a few years and, um, he will continue to be. So yeah, he is, he's, he deserves to be the all-star game. He deserves to be a Norris trophy finalist and he is both in my case. And, and same with Kucherov. I mean, I think 
a lot of people around Tampa will tell you that Kucherov might be their best offensive player. Yep. Which does a lot, given they have Stamkos on that team. Um, so uh, Kucherov up there in league scoring, he scores lots of goals. He helps his teammates get better. So um, yeah, I have I have Kucherov on the on my roster as well. Yeah, I remember towards the end of last season, I, I wrote an article which was kind of received uh, not not great by a, a lot of people, but it was, I just made the point that you know Kucherov was the one guy they had to make sure they kept this summer, and and he was much more irreplaceable than Stamkos was, and you know he he hasn't let me down. He's played well this season. I think that the interesting thing with Stamkos that I think a lot of people don't mention is that. You know, he really had bounced back to form early in the season before he got injured. And the effect of him mm-hmm. not being in the lineup, you know, there's there's the actual goals themselves that he would have scored that they're missing and other people have to fill in. But I think there's also, you know, guys like him and Ovechkin have this sort of gravitational pull on the defense where it's like they open up so many more lanes and options for their teammates and for other guys on their team just because just because of their presence, either whether they're on the ice or whether on the on the bench and the other team has to game plan for them and prepare for them and i think that's sort of an underappreciated component of it yeah yeah and those are tough to quantify because it's um you know you can look at what the team does when they're on the ice versus when they're not but yeah i mean um having played with some very good players you know when matt sundin was on the ice the team was playing you differently because they weren't worried about you they were worried about matt yeah. and um and and that's that's a good thing for other um, players that want to try to play offensively. So I think Stamkos has that impact, and Kucherov does as well. Underrated playmaker for, for me as well, not just strictly a goal scorer, but he can really, um, you know, he can really pass it around as well. So he's a, a no-brainer, and, and he'll fit right in in that uh, all-star environment. Listen, I, I know about that phenomenon all too well. I mean, people are listening to this podcast right now, and they're they're not worrying about what I'm saying. They're waiting for for MJ to speak. So uh, let's uh, <laughs> let, as if yeah as yeah. If. Um, uh, but so, this is this, this where it got tough though. Yeah. Okay, Buffalo. Who's playing? Who's going from Buffalo? Well, I'm 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 fine with Kyle Pozo yeah, just because I'm not putting I'm not putting Kyle in there. Do we have to put someone on their team? Like I, I put Jack Eichel. I don't care if he's only played 23 games. No. He's, he's miles away their best player. And I think that Okpozo, which I'm happy for, and, and it's great for him that he got to go, but his, his numbers are so not that great that uh, I think Eichel, despite playing half as many games, could go with him. Now that's a bit of a wild card pick because it opens up a whole bunch of doors, like how many games you have to play to go, but... Um, and the fact that the team did so much better and a lot of the guys around him did so much better when he got into the reinserted in the lineup um i put jack eichel on a bit of a wild card pick over Kyle Pozo. yeah i think that there's no question he's their best player and, and most important player i think that you know they've been a fascinating team this year because they have all this forward talent and a lot of it has missed various time with injuries here but like their best their backbone of their team has been their goaltending and unfortunately you know there's no place for this team for a guy like Robin Leonard just because there's other goalies just playing better than him but I mean like he's a guy that deserves consideration just because he's arguably been their most important player from start to finish so far which you wouldn't have thought and and listen Anders Nielsen's been no slouch in the backup spot either no he's been awesome Um, yeah you know and I'm not a I'm not buying Nielsen stock just yet. I mean, I've too, I've seen too much in other spots, but um, goaltending hasn't been the issue. I, I really, yeah, their defense just hasn't come together the way they hoped. Risk the line is piling up a lot of points, but he still gets he gets boxed around a little bit five on five. Um, as far as as far as you know, he's in his own end an awful lot, and 
and he gets outshot and outchanced um, <laughs> a lot, mm-hmm. uh, which comes with playing without a great team. But um, I know a lot of people were thinking Rasmus Ristolainen might deserve consideration for the defense, but uh, I think when you look at some of his underlying numbers beyond just the points, um, he's not up there with those other guys. Yeah, I like the Jack Eichel pick here. Um, for the Red Wings, the, the Franz Nielsen pick really kind of split me in two separate directions because for years I've loved, I love, I've loved Franz Nielsen and he's been this sort of poster child for being the perennially underrated player that, you know, the, the, the regular boxcar stats don't necessarily fully appreciate or encompass their impact in the game, but. I don't like. I just. I. I think that I would have gone. You know, sort of with your uh, Eichel wildcard pick. I would have gone with a guy like Anthony Mantha here, just because even though he hasn't played the full season for them, when he has been in the lineup, he's just been so far away their best player that I think that you know, the, the league wants to promote its youth and sort of this next generation of stars and kind of introduce some of these lesser, some of these guys that haven't necessarily burst onto the mainstream scene yet to the casual fan. And I think that having a guy like Mantha there would have been a good opportunity to do so here. Wow, I like that one. You know what? And and when I was, you know, again, 10 days ago, Anthony Mantha had played three, four less games, but yep. you look at his numbers and he is, wow, better than I anticipated him being. Now, I love watching him play. He's mm-hmm. one of those guys, see him on the ice, he always looks like he's in control, like good things are going to happen. The way he skates, the way he handles the puck, the way he moves his body around, he, it appears as though he should have the puck and good things are going to happen. So, um I, I went away from Nielsen and went a bit to like if you're if a guy's not having a great offensive season and Nielsen certainly is not. Uh, I went to Henrik Zetterberg just because he's a star. His numbers are better uh, as far as goal scoring um, than Nielsen's would have been by by a, by a fair margin or point getting. He still does a lot of the other things really well um, defensively and, and his shot share and all those different things. So I had Zetterberg, but I you could convince me. Listen, if Eichel can go, then Anthony Manta can go. But I went with Zetterberg just. To get a bigger name guy, certainly bigger and as deserving as Franz Nielsen this year. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, all right, let's move over to Metro Division. Um, and instead of going mm-hmm. sort of team by team here, because we're already at the twenty-five minute mark, and I feel like we could we could be here all day if we go <laughs> at this rate. Um, I think yeah. let, let, let's touch on some of the bigger topics. And I think that when I look at this division, this is where that sort of discussion about having the restrictions for having to have a certain number of players at each position really comes into play. Because I. I love Anthony. I love Seth Jones, but I think that you know guys like Cam Atkinson and Brendan Saad on his own team have been much more valuable than he has this year. But I, I had a tough time trying to find you know two other defensemen beyond Ryan McDonough to be on this team. So I think that that's, I think that's sort of the main argument for Seth Jones here. Uh, well, yeah, I went to his partner and said I think Zach Wierenski deserves to be there ahead of Seth Jones. Mm-hmm. I think Wierenski plays often with Seth Jones. They have the same difficult matchups. He's got more points. Um, Jones was hurt for a few weeks with the foot, and Wierenski quarterbacks the best power play in the league. So for all those reasons, uh, if you're going to take a defender from Columbus, then I think it should have been Wierenski and not Jones. And talk about bonuses and impacts. You know Wierenski has those in his contract, and he will not be claiming them now because he's not on his way to Columbus. So, um yeah, I, I have Wierenski over Jones, and because Columbus, and also because Carolina doesn't have any compelling forwards. Mm. Um, you know, I, I put Jacob Slavin in there. Yeah, not Justin Falk. Um, Jacob Slavin is underrated. He gets lost down in the shuffle there in Columbus. He uh, he is a very good 
underrated player pairs up with Pesci, and they do a lot of good things. And um, I just don't think he probably gets the attention he deserves. They have the best PK in the league, which is a big part of. He has more points than Falk, and Falk's a real power play specialist. So um, if i got to get a hurricane on there and I need three defensemen, then Jacob Slavin's my guy. Right, yeah, it's interesting how, how time changes things, right? Because I, I think whether it was last year or, or two years ago, like Falk was left off this list and he was one of my guys. Is like, he has to be on this team. He's playing so well. But I definitely think that Slavin has uh, surpassed him in terms of importance to this team. And, and you know, it makes sense that Falk scores a lot of goals. He's that trigger man. He has a big shot in the power play, But as you mentioned. But Slavin is just one of those sort of like chris tanavish players except he's a, he's a better skater of course but it's just like he does all these sort of little mm-hmm. things that add up and and I, i'm glad that we have all of these new, more nuanced metrics now to quantify that and help show his impact on the ice because if you're just looking yeah. at block shots he's the guy you hits, never know right yeah yeah exactly you'd never know you did like oh no he's good but but why yeah. prove it to me well how is he good and and you need these kind of other um kind of metrics and stuff to to to, to support players like that um, and, and yeah, so he's he's probably lost the shuffle. Could deserve a bit of attention. Goaltenders were easy for the Metro, no? Bobrovsky, yeah. Holpe, no brainer. So simple. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I the, think, I, the, I think Devils, the, the bigger story there with the goalies is that Schneider and Lundqvist have had such you know uncharacteristically poor seasons yeah. that's made that yeah. decision easy. Especially Schneider. Yeah. Especially Schneider. I, I mean, I thought he was going to be. You know, I thought he was one of the top four goals in the league heading into this season. I really like everything about him. And um, that team has, has come off the rails and, and, and also Lundqvist not yet being Lundqvist-like and being probably outperformed by anti-Ronta, which sounds crazy to say, but um, probably has happened to start the season, which is, which is unusual. But you turn to the forward. Mm-hmm. New Jersey can't put anyone on there, right? Like, who on New Jersey deserves to go? So it's Taylor Hall. Yeah. He's their best forward. I don't care how many games he's been injured for. The Islanders don't really have anyone that deserves to go, so it's got to be John Tavares. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Philadelphia becomes interesting. You yeah. put Giroux, you put Voracek, you put Wayne Simmons. I put Wayne Simmons in my pre-picks, so I was happy to see him make it on a personal level because he's one of those guys that probably won't go again yep. um, the way this, this is set up. And um, to recognize uh, he's one of the best power play guys in the league, and um, and so I was happy to see him get the nod out of Voracek, Giroux, and Simmons. Yeah, it's it's tough to differentiate those guys. I think, especially early on in the season, Voracek was playing at such a high level that he would have seemed like the obvious mm-hmm. choice, but he's tailed off a bit. And and listen, I'm not I'm never gonna complain about Wayne Simmons getting love. He's 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 so fun to watch for, especially for kind of like hockey nerds or purists that are that are watching the little things. Just the way he operates around the net, sort of. Uh, how he how he positions his body to receive passes and make it easier for the guys getting him the puck and just the stick work he does. I mean, he's he's such a treat to watch. And then obviously he does all of that more uh, old school physical stuff. So he, he's one of those players that just does a little bit of everything for for whatever your taste or what interest might be in a hockey player. He he does, and so uh, I would yeah absolutely. And I'm and I think probably around the league and on his team and stuff. I think a lot of people were probably pleased to see him get recognized and and go. Crosby and Malkin are easy, right? Like they have to go second and third in scoring, driving Pittsburgh along. Yeah. The real difficult question: the Metro is Cam Atkinson mm-hmm. or Alex Ovechkin. I mean, that really is what it boils down to. And again, ten days ago when they made this decision, Atkinson had more goals, 
more assists, more points on a better team. A team that really was the story of the first half of the season. So I put Atkinson on my all-star team. Now, Ovechkin's had some big milestones and big moments in the last couple of weeks, but um, that was a tough one because it's not like Ovechkin doesn't deserve to go, I guess, um, but I have Atkinson on mine. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. Like, it, it would it'd feel weird to have this all-star game without Ovechkin just because of sort of the, the personality and the, and the star that he is. And his play has also warranted. I mean, he's going to score 40, 45 goals against the, the season. So it's, it, you know, he's still playing at a high level. But I actually think that I would have had Brendan Saad on this list ahead of Cam Atkinson, which I, I think is, Ooh. I'm not sure is a popular opinion. But, you know, the interesting thing about Saad for me is, He's second in the league in, in five on five points. He's neck and neck with Connor McDavid there. And the thing about him is like, it's just the fact that he hasn't unfortunately gotten to crack that first power play unit. Like, I think if you put him on there, his, his, his total points would be just through the roof. But unfortunately, you know, they've been firing on all cylinders and Sam Gagne sort of taking that spot in front of the net and, and there hasn't been a room for him there. But I think that, you know, Saad just his five on five impact in terms of driving the shot metrics, but also producing points is, is just too, too, too good for me to overlook. You know what? I got to tell you that he snuck under my radar. I'm just I, I, I'm looking at him now, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy, his numbers right? yeah, are it's... incredible. Five yeah. on five, and now you know we we get hung up, not hung up, but we get very caught up on five on five numbers because they are indicative of of the bulk of guys play. Right there, but there is you still have to allow for value in being good on the power play. Mm-hmm. Right, it still has to be somewhere in there. You like. Yeah, but this guy's amazing in the power play, and that matters. Um, so um, that's probably not enough. But no, Brandon Saad, you look at you look at how well he's done, and you're right. You could make a very, very easy case that he is as deserving, if not more, than Cam Atkinson. Um, you know, maybe maybe I fell in love with Atkinson because he's part of like he's kind of symbolic of the feel good nature of all of what was happening in Columbus. Yep. Um, but you're right. Um, Saad is a very compelling case. No, it's it's very it's very easy to root for Cam Atkinson as you just mentioned, and, and I think that you know sometimes we do get too hung up on five on five points. I mean, a lot of five on five production is sort of, I guess, more predictive of what is going to come in the future and sort of sustainability. But this All Star Game is kind of capturing what's happened in the first half of the season and. Cam Atkinson has banked a lot of goals and a lot of points, and that does count for something, right? Like the whole point of the game is to outscore mm-hmm. your opponent. So if you're generating more goals, like you're, that's a pretty valuable, valuable skill to have. Yes, absolutely. I mean, both are having great years, but I guess I, I'm surprised, and you've opened my eyes, um, maybe just how impactful and how good Saad has been. Because he had a bit of a slow start, it seemed like the first 10 games as far as producing points. And so maybe you didn't associate him with a guy that was having that kind of year, but he he is. So yeah, good on him. I think uh, did we hit all the points on the on the Metro Division here? Is there any other players we're missing? I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. I think we covered all the bases. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the uh, to the Central, and I think that an interesting discussion here is is the Minnesota Wild because you know they they just beat the Blackhawks and sort of surpassed them in the standings and, and they've been playing remarkably well. And, and, you know, I expected big things from them just because Bruce Boudreaux teams always do well in the regular season. And there was no real reason to believe that they wouldn't be at least a playoff team. But I mean, they've exceeded even my expectations, but when you're trying to kind of 
take guys from this team and, and reward them on this all-star team it's tough because the whole nature mm. the whole nature of the minnesota wild is that the, all the individual parts yeah, combine it. and it's sort of you know yeah. you have jason zucker and and grandland and and koi Wu as a line and then you have nino nita rider who has been playing remarkably well especially defensively and you have all these guys that are sort of chipping in even the fourth line with jordan schrader and chris stewart but you know i think maybe eric stahl is the one guy where he's just been so effective i mean he's almost at a point a game this season and and he's a guy that i definitely had concerns about as recently as last season and was worried that someone might overpay him this summer but the wild got him on a good contract and he's made a, a world of difference for them uh he has for sure but i mean i think yes and and, and he's played well as of late too so he's piled up some points uh in the last kind of since the all-star game was announced. But, I mean, Devin Dubnik's going to go, yep. right? And so you're going to have representation there. Uh, Ryan Suter is going to go, mm-hmm. uh, as he should. Um, yeah, so I, 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 didn't, I did not have uh, Eric Stahl on mine. You could make an argument that he, he deserves to go, but I think you're right. Just the strength in numbers and the depth and the four lines and everyone contributing – probably minimizes his perceived impact, even though he's had a really good one on a really good deal. But if you're going to take multiple, you know, it's basically that, because Devin, Devin Dubnik has to go, right? Yep. So you're basically, you have to say, there's only what, three extra picks uh, beyond one from each team for mm-hmm. the central four. Um, so if Crawford's going, I'm taking Kane, I'm taking Panarin ahead of Eric Stahl, right? Yep, yep. So those guys don't get, and I'm taking and I'm taking Suter over Eric Stahl, and I'm taking Keith as well. So I, I, just, I don't see the fit on where Eric Stahl makes the team. Yeah, and, and here's, the, here's the thing with Suter. Um, I, I get his contributions to this team, right? He plays a ton of minutes every year, and he plays against the other team's mm-hmm. best, and he plays, you know, he kills penalties. He's in all these high-leverage minutes. But at least, you know, last year, for example, there was, you could quantify his five on five impact. He had very positive shot metrics. And this year, for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. they've kind of fallen off the table. And I'm just, you know, he's always been one of those interesting test cases for whether guys reach a point of diminishing returns with, with regards to usage, where I wonder if he was playing 24, 25 minutes a night, whether he might be more effective because he could spend more energy on each given shift as opposed to, you know, when he knows he's going to have to yeah. play 29, 30 minutes, all of a sudden the no, actual he manages impact. It. Yeah. He manages it. He, d- he does. You watch him play, and there's moments where he doesn't push all the way through because he only has – if he's got 100% of his tank to spend – um, he has to be ju- judicious in how he throws it out there because uh, he's got lots to play. And, and you're right. I think they know that, though. I mean, you talked to Bruce Boudreau. I've talked to Scott Stevens, both about this. And I think last year he was eh, like 28 and a half, almost 29 minutes per game. They wanted him down closer to 24, which would be a huge cut for him. But I think he would be better, and he would be better when they get to the playoffs. Uh, it hasn't quite gotten there this year. I think he's about a minute and a half lower, closer to 27. Um, but, uh, yeah, the shot, the shot shares are a bit off for him this year. And yet his goals, his goals for percentage, which is maybe not so predictive, but, um, is still very, very good. So, um, I just, if he's the anchor of the best team in the West and he plays the most minutes and he's putting up some decent points and, um, yeah, 
I, I had him on my team. Well, and, and one of the one of the other things working in his favor is if you're going to have three defensemen in this division, you know, P.K. Subban's one, Duncan Keith is another, and then, you know, a lot yep. of the other guys we would have expected to have really good seasons haven't had them. Like, a, a guy like John Klingberg has really struggled. Roman Yossi has been very up and down. You know, I, I had Buffalo on here for a while, but I'm perfectly okay with sort of p- p- penalizing him just because of how, how bad the, the Winnipeg Jets have been, particularly lately. So, I think that you know there isn't a third super obvious choice where you have to have him above Ryan Suter so if you want to make that argument I'm, I'm perfectly okay with it yeah I mean who would yeah and who would that third defense who if it's not Suter who would it be would it be would it be Shattenkirk could it be Shattenkirk I'm, I, I don't you know is, is he is he played well enough it might be yeah. but uh, yeah so I think I think Suter gets in there um for sure uh, and when you move to the forwards um Kane's going to make it. Yeah. Sagan's going to represent Dallas. Tarasenko has to represent St. Louis. Yep. Tave got picked. He knows he shouldn't go. It should have been Panarin. He yeah. knows that. Yeah, let's not um, even waste time. Let's not even waste that. time on that. I think yeah, everyone knows exactly. that. Exactly. We know top 100 players. He's going to be one of them, and yeah. good for him, but he doesn't belong there. Yeah. Uh, the two one to me, so you have Winnipeg needs a pick, and so does Colorado. So I went off the board on both. I took Shifley ahead of Line A, and I took Duchesne ahead of McKinnon. Yeah. Um, I know Line is very good, scores a ton of goals, but I just think Shifley does as much or more to help the team out everywhere. His goals and his points totals are, well, points are better than Line A goals. Not quite there, but he scored a 20th already. Um, so I, I just think as a total player, he, he's probably better than Patrick Line. Oh, no, no question. And I think that, you know, a guy like Blake Wheeler is also ahead of Line A on, on my list in terms of just Winnipeg Jets forwards. Oh, yeah. And, and, and maybe even Nick Ehlers. And I think that, you know, that's not, that's not a knock against Line A because he's been electrifying so far before his injury and, and he's been very productive, particularly on the power play. But for young players, it's, it's really tough to make that sort of next leap to being a, uh, you know, a positive driver at five on five. And Line A has struggled so far in his career at that, you know, the defensive component of the game. And I, I have no doubt that'll come in time as his game matures but it's i think it's fair to say right now that just in terms of pure impact he's been behind all of those guys in terms of what he's contributed to the team yeah and 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 all those other guys are really really good players so Mm -hmm. it's no no embarrassment to get to be behind blake wheeler who almost feels lost was lost there for a while though brian little to play with on that next second line and um nick ealer is, is becoming one of my favorite players he is fantastically good um but yeah, so I, I had Shifley and I had Duchesne over McKinnon. Um, you could talk me into going either way with them. You know, Duchesne scores more goals, so I went with him. That's yeah. pretty much how it went down. Because no one in Colorado has done anything remotely close to warranting uh, all-star consideration. Are you are you as, as frustrated watching Nathan McKinnon as I am just based on he has these flashes where you could, you know, you think, wow, this guy should be one of the best players in the league. Like, he's so dominant. He's clearly the best player on this ice on this given night. And then the total package just hasn't added up for him yet. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, uh, and, you, and you, you, know, you think back to the World Cup and that overtime goal and how great he looked there. And you're like, okay, this is the year. He's going to take this springboard of the World Cup, and he is going to be a, a wrecking crew, an amazing, um, amazing player for Colorado. And it just it hasn't happened. I almost wonder if, uh, just thinking off the top of my head, if he needs to add, we understand he's so fast, and that's great. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he needs to add a little change of pace to his game. 
the ability to slow it down and then speed it back up. Right. Because it seems like when you watch him, he's, he's always going at overdrive speed. And when there's open ice, he saw the breakaway goal he scored this past week where he just you know flew through and nobody was even close to being able to catch him. But I wonder if he's going to just occasionally offer a different look because even when guys are going super fast, if that's all they ever do, you can figure out how to defend it. But when you use change of pace, change of direction laterally to create a little more time and space, I would imagine more offensive options would open up for him because his number is, Wait, 63 is rookie year, 38 and 64, 52 and 72, and he's on pace for 56. I mean, those are good player numbers. Yep. Those are not great player numbers. I mean, those are numbers that, like, I got numbers like that in my career, and that's not where Peyton McKinnon should be. He should be well ahead of me. So, um, yeah, I imagine he's frustrated, and I, I, I wonder how much work they do on it. Like, how, how much work Colorado and Nathan McKinnon does breaking down his game, trying to figure out where he can add more so that he can get more done given his immense talent. Yeah, and I think that, you know, sometimes it's it's easy for us to be spoiled or, or, or kind of take it for granted because you see a guy like McDavid or, or Matthews come into the league and just instantly kind of get it and, and just and just and do everything well right off the bat. And there is sort of this adjustment period for a lot of other NHLers. And Nathan McKinnon, as talented as he is, he's, he's only 21 years old right now. It's very possible that, you know, he's yeah. going to add these different wrinkles to his game. Like, you'd love to see, you know, him go spend the summer, like, just go, go, to, go to Sidney Crosby's lab and Halifax and just sort of like rewire himself to do all these different different little things little nuances and hopefully he will I think that what gets lost in the shuffle a little bit is you know Taylor Hall struggled with this a lot a long time in in Edmonton where pretty much whenever he did anything he had to do it himself he basically had to take the puck from his own Mm -hmm. zone and go coast to coast and that's a a really tough thing to do in NHL generally when you have to carry the puck that long yourself you're going to have some of these highlight real rushes that wind up on the top 10 but you know, it, it's like a lot of times you're going to either lose steam or, or get hit or turn the puck over. It's not going to materialize. And if he had actual defensemen beyond Tyson Berry that could actually get him the puck in the neutral zone with speed, I think that would also <laughs> do wonders for him. Or, or just not play on their own end the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I that mean, yeah. I, I, and I, and like Colorado as a whole, I mean, just, just like I expected them to be way better this year. I, <laughs> I thought Patrick Wall was a bit of, like, was part of the problem there. I thought just, you know, his lack of system and structure would, was, was, was not great. And I thought that Jared Bednar, without knowing anything about him, would improve. Just because I'm assuming if you get a job in the NHL, you, you have to be excellent at that. And yet here they are once again last in their shot differentials and giving up tons of shots and scoring chances against. And so maybe it's not just Patrick Warr. Maybe it wasn't him at all. Maybe it is in fact the players that they have there that are just incapable of of, of of playing better five on five because they're awful. Yeah. They're terrible again. No, they're really, really bad. Yeah. It's uh it's not good. Um <laughs> surprisingly bad, yeah. Yes. Um yeah the one one final thing that I had on the central division here is I noticed that the Blues, um, you know, they had this nice little two-game stretch in California where I think they gave up one goal in two games combined. But, you know, they're 29th in the league in overall save percentage. And that seems so weird for for a Ken Hitchcock team. You, you know, we've come to expect with, with Brian Elliott and Jake Allen and, and before that, Yaroslav Halak. They, they were always amongst the league leaders in terms of goal suppression and ability to stop other teams offensively. And I think that... 
I don't know, like, what do you do if you're them? Because they're in this weird little limbo here with, you know, it's Hitchcock's final season there. Shattenkirk's an impending free agent. Last year, they went for it and, mm-hmm. they, and they made it far, but then they lost David Backus for nothing. And they're sort of trying to balance winning now versus look, thinking about the future because they are a team that's not going to spend a ton of money. So just like when you look at that situation, just how would you approach it in the, in the coming sort of two months here before the trade deadline? Uh, I would be monitoring it very closely if I'm running St. Louis. A couple of different thoughts. One is you're, you're carefully evaluating, you know, are we going to make the playoffs? Um, and if we make the playoffs, can I be honest with myself and say we really don't have a chance against to go far, uh, given the way our current team is? If that's the case, then, and I think that is the case for St. Louis, they may fall right out of it, but, you know, if they're hanging around the wild card or whatever, um, I'm certainly not going to go out and add, t- add pieces um, and spend assets to get them. I would have two options. You, you know, you could trade away UFA to be a guy like Kevin Shankirk, who I think would have a pretty good uh, return for him, especially if you get him to a team that he would resign with before the season expires. Um, or do you just try to say, we're, we are where we are because our goaltender has lost his confidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jake Allen is still going to be the goalie of the future there. I think they, they still believe in him, but it's just not happening right now. His game is deteriorating technically and mentally, maybe more so than that. So if, if you're going to just say, we're going to do a reset for Jake this summer, is there an option? Could you trade Kevin Shattenkirk to Tampa for Ben Bishop in pieces? You know, would that be something that St. Louis might entertain just to get an idea of, okay, well, we're going to fix our goaltender for this year. You know, we're the UFA, so we're not going to resign him. We're going to trade our UFA who we're not going to resign for him. We probably get a little something extra on top of Bishop because Shattenkirk um, might stick around in Tampa. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of thing I might look at if I'm running St. Louis. But um, yeah, and the, and the hitch dynamic of his being last year, it will mean nothing to me as a manager. Um, I won't I won't start going for it because Hitch is here. That's That's not how I would be running the team. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, no, I think that's that's perfectly fair. They're, they're, they are in that weird limbo, and I, mean, I think that, I guess, depending on how they play in the next six weeks here, it'll, it'll determine a lot what they do. Uh, let's 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 power through this Pacific Division because yeah. it's 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 pretty ugly, and I don't I don't think it deserves too much of our time. Um, I, <laughs> I had the same six forwards as that, that were picked. Yeah. I really did on my on my list. I had, I had McDavid, of course, Jeff Carter, of course. Ryan Kessler, of course, he's been terrific in Anaheim this year. I need a flame. I took Johnny Goudreau. Now, you could, I know you're going to want Michael Backlund there, and mm. I got no problem with that. <laughs> Michael Backlund has had a tr- amazing year. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. I know what you're up to. Um, but I just went, uh, again, 10 days ago, maybe not the point push, but Goudreau, big star, probably not as deserving as uh, maybe a Michael Backlund um, but uh, that's where I went. I took Pavelski, of course, and I took Bo Horvat out of out of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, time to turn the page and get some youth in there. I was not. I never really considered Ryan Miller that or that seriously. Um, so I took Bo Horvat. Those were my six. Now I know you can make a case for Backlund. I'm expecting it to be a good one. Well, listen, I'm perfectly cool with Godro for two things. One, he's pretty clearly their best player. Um, you know, he's not leading the team in scoring right now, but it's because he missed 10 games or so. And if you adjust it for per game, he is. And 
I just want to watch him at three on three with Connor McDavid. I think that's going to be uh, yeah. amazing. So I think just purely from the spectacle and sort of the enjoyment of the event, I think it makes perfect sense. The other thing is. I love Backlund. He's been underrated for years. It's kind of tough to separate him. It's sort of what we just discussed with the Wild. Like, if we could just have Backlund, Kachuk, and Frolik just be, uh, like, one person and just send them out there as a, li- as a line, I'm <laughs> perfectly cool with together, that. Yeah. yeah, just send them out there and just shut down the other team's best uh, best three-on-three unit. But, like, other than just that... Like, the other end the entire time, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and with Gajo, like, it, it's it's tough because... You know, he, he plays with Monaghan a lot. They've split him up recently, but they've had this sort of never-ending search, this revolving door to find a third guy. You thought that it would be Brower because of how much they paid him and sort of it made sense in terms of being a stylistic fit where he just kind of stand in front of the net and, and bang the puck home, but it hasn't worked out. And then they went with a guy like Alex Chasson, and I, I just, it's not optimal. I think that the Flames are an interesting little team here because the Pacific Division is so weak that I think they very well could sneak into the playoffs. And if they have one big hole, other than maybe acquiring a top four defense in which every other team could use, I think a more tangible thing is adding another scoring winger to play with those guys because they could desperately use one. Yeah, and go to go down to Arizona and grab Radim Verbata. Yep. You want to score, can play with good players, doesn't do much else, but he can score. Uh, Radim Verbata might be a good a good fit there. You're right, but... That line probably deserves a quick little note management. Matthew Kachuk, the impact he's had as a rookie, um, it's been very impressive for a week. Much like Backlund, they've been kind of similar players throughout their careers, um, known to be defensive, but really do a good job not having to play on their own end the whole time, even when they're playing against other teams' good lines, and, and then Backlund as well. So um, I knew you'd like Backlund, and I appreciate that, but I put good drill on that one. So um, I'm cool the defense. With that. Burns, of course. Mm-hmm. Doughty, of course. Yep. Um, and because Arizona needs a guy, I did not put Mike Smith. I can't put a goalie on the worst, like one of the worst teams in the league, on the All Star game. Yeah. I know he doesn't get a lot of support, and I know his save percentage is good and all that, but he's he's the most impactful player on the ice, and he's on one of the worst teams. So as great as these season he's having, he can't be that great because they're terrible. So I put Ekman Larson, their closest thing to an All Star on defense as well. So you would have Martin Jones and Cam Talbot as the two goalies here, or would you have Chad Johnson instead? Uh, uh, yes. No, I put Talbot. I just don't know if Chad Johnson's played enough. I mean, I, 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 I don't even know how many games Chad Johnson has played relative to Cam Talbot. Talbot's played a ton. Yep. Um, Chad Johnson played 26, got a 9-24, and 10. That's very good. Um, I, I went with the, the goaltender who's played more, had more success. Numbers aren't quite as good. But, you know, you played, whatever, almost uh, 60%, 70% more games. So uh, I went with Talbot as maybe a bit of a reward also for Edmonton being uh, surprisingly pushing for the lead in the Pacific. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm cool with that. I think that, you know, Pavelski um, is, isn't a surprise by any means. He's been one of the better players and more, more, more productive players, at least in the league for years. And he does all these things really well. I think that, you know, his production's down a little bit. And that's, I think that's twofold. One is... Joel Thornton has definitely taken a step back this year, particularly at five on five, and I think that's slightly concerning. Mm-hmm. That's slightly concerning. You know, we know that he has a ton of miles and age, but he played so remarkably well last season that you could have possibly talked yourself into giving him a two three year deal this summer when he's when he's up for a new deal. But I think that with the way he's played this year, it would make it a a pretty dicey proposition. And and the other thing is that. 
you know, people that listen to this podcast often ask me to sort of point out stuff they can watch, sort of nuances when they're watching the games. And I think the San Jose power play has changed uh, this season where last year Logan Couture was much more of that sort of bumper where he would be a release valve to release a bit of pressure, whereas this year he's much more of a shooter. And I think that's taken away, without looking at the numbers even, I think that's sort of anecdotally taken away some of those opportunities for Pavelski where he was cashing in so much in previous years. So I think that sort of accounts for it, which means I'm, I'm cool with Pavelski. Yeah. And one other thing, too, is that uh, Tomas Hurdle, who has been hurt this year, um, he played a lot with that. Probably the best five-on-five line last year was Pavelski, Hurdle, and Thornton. Mm-hmm. And, and and when I covered them in the playoffs, they played such a unique style between the three of them. Like, no other, no other line on San Jose played the same way as far as the routes they took and the way they, the way they moved the puck around through the neutral zone into the offensive zone. And Hurdle understood it was comfortable with it and good at it. And I think that they're missing his comfort level to go along with Pavelski and Thornton. And that has also um, hurt their five on five play. Yep. Yeah, totally. And I think that one other guy we sort of breezed past is, is Jeff Carter. I mean, he's obviously a no brainer, but I just think that, you know, it's remarkable that he's on pace for 43 goals and 75 points this season. It's, you know, I think it's flown under the radar a little bit, just how awesome he's been. And, and I think what's cool is how well he's holding up. I mean, he's, he's in his thirties now and he always struck me as a type of player that might sort of break down with age and not necessarily age as gracefully. But the thing that stands out for me when I watch him is, you know, he's one of these guys where it doesn't never look like he's moving fast and he sort of never bends his, (laughs) he never bends his knees when he skates, just sort of kind of glides and, I'm sure that over the years that's irritated people and, and, and made him think that he's not trying hard enough. But then every once in a while, you just sort of see his eyes light up when he sees daylight in front of him. And, and, and I think he's one of the more kind of sneaky fast skaters in the league when he really wants to get going. He is. I've been in foot races with him. And you're right. He's one of those guys, not like Scott Niedermeyer, but similar in that they don't look like they're working hard. Like you feel like your legs are going 1,000 miles an hour and they're just out there for a pleasure skate, and yet they're going faster. He's got that long, fluid, um, beautiful stride. And I think he doesn't get a lot of attention because he doesn't, I don't think he craves it. Mm-hmm. I think he's just so happy to be a chill guy, go out and score his 25, 28 goals a year, wait for the playoffs, and then be really good in the playoffs. Um, and, and just, you know, and, and just go home. Let Kopitar and Dowdy and Quick be the stars of LA. And he's so comfortable in his own skin that he doesn't ever crave it. Um, in fact, he's just so relaxed about it all he just goes and shows up and, and then goes home um but this year I, I think not out of necessity but because Kopitar's had such a quiet year and quick hasn't been around you're forced to kind of pay attention to to Jeff Carter a little bit more and realize man he's he's really he's really really good and uh he's having an incredible year I you know I, I wouldn't have seen this coming out of him but uh he definitely deserves to be in LA for sure yeah yeah definitely um MJ where uh where can people check you out, and what are you up to these days? Uh, yeah, I'll be at NHL Network, of course, on TV. I do some stuff on NHL Network on the radio at the lunch show when I'm around, and I will definitely be out in Los Angeles for All-Star Week, uh, enjoying the sights and sounds and sunshine of L.A., and uh, I hope I see you there. Yeah, I'll definitely be there. Let's uh, let's catch up and maybe even do a, an in-person show while we're there. All right, sounds good. Cool. You know where to find me. Cool. Talk soon, man. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.